This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I am Stephen Valentino, sitting in for Douglas Everett, who is currently passed out on a beach somewhere in Central America. We've got an interesting show coming up for you today. Sarah Lynn, who is the Radio Parallax CSUS liaison, will join us in a segment to talk about Dr. Drew Pinsky. And uh, I guess we'll start off the show today, uh, as Douglas Everett always does, with This Day in History. On this date in history, in 1287, 50,000 lives were lost when the Netherlands' Zuiderzee seawall collapsed. And on this date, December 14th in 1900, German physicist Max Planck publishes his groundbreaking quantum theory. The theory helped resolve previously unexplained natural phenomena, such as the behavior of heat in solids and the nature of light absorption on an atomic level. Today, the combination of quantum theory with Einstein's theory of relativity is the basis of modern physics. Also in this day, December 14th, in 1918, women vote in a British general election for the first time. And on this date, December 14th, 1920, the first aircraft disaster involving a scheduled airline occurs when a plane carrying six passengers and two crew members takes off on a flight from London, England, to Paris, France. The plane crashed into a house just after takeoff, killing the crew and two passengers. And also on this date in 1927, Great Britain formally recognizes the state of Iraq as an independent nation. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week for uh, former Florida representative and congressional page pursuer Mark Foley when a 3,000-page-plus congressional investigation committee was uh, issued um, into whether any wrongdoing uh, was committed on the part of Congressman Foley for his what I would describe as exceedingly inappropriate uh, instant message conversations between Mr. Foley and a number of congressional pages who worked for him and other uh, House members. Uh, The report... uh, Kind of a whitewash, basically said that no, there was no wrongdoing, no conspiracy, and that uh, no one is going to be prosecuted because no rules were broken, you know, except for chasing 16-year-old boys around the halls of Congress. Unfortunately, this report, although good for Mark Foley, is bad for everyone else. Included in the report are about several hundred pages of instant message transcripts uh, that took place between Foley and a number of interns. Um, Not exactly what I would call light holiday reading by any standard, Um, but nonetheless, uh, it appears that Representative Foley will not be prosecuted under, at least under this current Congress or uh, in the uh, the incoming Congress, the 110th Congress that will be, I think, starting in January. Um, No word yet on whether Mark Foley will be picked up as a correspondent for Fox News, like Rick Santorum. Uh, We can only hope, though. 
And it was a bad week for employment security. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations John Bolton this week uh, resigned amid speculation that he will not be renewed and returned to the United Nations with the new Congress that is coming in in January. Bolton was originally installed to the job last year by Bush in a recess appointment when members of both parties raised serious questions about putting a person in the United Nations who questioned whether or not the United Nations should exist. In an editorial on the topic, uh, the New York Times wrote that the last thing the nation needs is a distracting and divisive fight over whether to uh, reappoint uh, Mr. Bolton to the position of the United Nations and described his resignation as a wise move. Uh, the editorial also went on to say that President Bush now has an opportunity to find an envoy who understands the spirit of consensus-seeking diplomacy. And it was an ugly week for the U.S. Immigration Department. Uh, U.S. immigration officials lost track of 111,000 files on aliens seeking U.S. citizenship, the Government Accountability Office reported. U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, a branch of the Homeland Security Department, they're doing a great job, I'm sure, processed some 30,000 citizen applications, even though the required supporting data had been lost, the GAO said. The Immigration Office also granted citizenship to at least one person with suspected ties to the Hezbollah terror organization. And that is it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, from the Only in America segment, a Tempe, Arizona police officer demanded that two black motorists improvise a rap in order to escape a ticket for throwing trash out their car window. Uh, one nervous suspect managed, the dangers of littering will get you a ticket if you ain't with it. Uh, the incident was caught on videotape. Uh, the other suspect uh, volunteered, Yo, I just got pulled over because I threw my trash out the window. They got behind me and pulled me over. I, I, I have to say the quality of the second one is not nearly as good. Um, I, I, I mean, I like A-B rhyme scheme, but rhyming over with over, I think, even if you're under pressure, might be a little, little bit of an easy exit. The Reverend Jarrett Maupin said, uh, says the tape illustrates the need for better police diversity training. Uh, we're not all rappers and thugs and gangbangers, he said. Also is some interesting news for those of you who care about, say, fair and honest elections. Uh, a federal panel accepted a recommendation to urge states to use only voting machines that can be independently verified. I'm guessing Diebold is not on that list. Researchers at the National Institute of Standards and Technology told the panel that electronic voting machines that don't issue printed records can, quote, not be made secure. The advisory panel to the U.S. Election Assistance Commission voted to encourage states to buy machines that produce verifiable paper records. The commission's findings are not binding, but are followed by many states. I mean, there's a shocker, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, electronic voting machines that don't give you paper records might possibly be vulnerable to, say, hacking or uh, compromise uh, by, you know, powerful political interests who, say, would want to put George Bush in the presidency um, in 2000 and 2004. But, you know, no, I'm not suggesting anything by that. 
And here is an uh, interesting news item from Sacramento. Uh, detectives in California's Central Valley, here, uh, this week busted a criminal ring that allegedly stole more than 35 tons of almonds and walnuts. Sukhwinder Singh Grewal, age 41, and Armik Singh, 27, were arrested and charged with stealing nuts worth $2 million from several processors in the fertile agricultural region around Sacramento. A local resident alerted police after seeing workers deliver 50-pound boxes of nuts from several different processors to a northern Sacramento warehouse. Police say the nuts, after being seized, will be returned to their rightful owners. And uh, just another news item here from Prague. Um, there's been a lot of talk in recent weeks in this country, as there is now seemingly every year, about the war on Christmas. Um, well, if you think it's bad here, if you think there is a war on Christmas here in the United States, wait till you hear this one. Uh, the Czech Republic has launched an ad campaign to discourage businesses from putting up Christmas ads that feature Santa Claus. The ads say, this stupid fat guy with a red outfit is taking over our television ads and we say it's enough. In Czech tradition, on Christmas Eve, instead of Santa, it's the baby Jesus who flies magically into the house and leaves presents in children's stockings. Czechs do have a St. Nicholas figure, but he comes by earlier. Each year on December 6th, men dress up as St. Nick or the Devil and walk around town in pairs asking children to sing or recite. Good children get candy from St. Nick, while bad ones get whacked with a devil stick. Now, this reminds me a little bit of uh, Christmas traditions in Holland, um, where Santa Claus arrives on a boat with six to eight black men. Um, this is the tradition in Holland for the Dutch. Um, originally, these six to eight black men were Santa's slaves. Um, in more recent politically correct versions, they have become his helpers, although I'm sure Bill O'Reilly would lament something like that um, as being a little, a little too warm and fuzzy. Um, but Santa Claus in Holland uh, arrives by boat, as I said, and if you've been good, um, he will leave presents in your clogs, and if you've been bad, him and his six to eight black men will kidnap you, put you in a sack, and take you to Spain, where you'll be forced into slave labor. All right, and speaking of children, I guess, I will direct your attention to a column on the website worldnetdaily.com. Uh, WorldNet Daily is a, um, what I would call, uh, criminally um, insane, conservative, neo-fascist website that runs a lot of highly biased news items, but they're sometimes good for a good laugh. And I would direct you to a column uh, posted December 12th by, I guess, in-house curmudgeon Jim Roots with the title, Soy is Making Kids Gay. Mr. Roots starts off the article by talking about, uh, and I quote, There's a slow poison out there that's severely damaging our children and threatening to tear apart our culture. The ironic part is it's a health food, one of our most popular. Basically, Mr. Roots has drawn a connection, not clinically proven at all, uh, between uh, the rise in soy products and a rise in homosexuality within our population. 
Mr. Roots draws a connection between the prevalence of estrogen in soy and concludes that if adults or young children eat significant amounts of soy, that will flood their system with estrogen and therefore make them some kind of deviant homosexual. He goes on to write, if you're a grown-up, you're already developed and you're able to fight off some of the damaging and gay effects of soy. I inserted the gay in there. Uh, babies aren't so fortunate. Research is now showing that when you feed your baby soy formula, you're giving him or her the equivalent of five birth control pills a day. I don't know why anyone's giving, like, infants birth control pills. Uh, but uh, he goes on to say that a baby's endocrine system can't cope with that kind of massive assault, so some damage is inevitable. And at that extreme, that damage can be fatal and apparently gay. He goes on to write that soy is feminizing and commonly leads to a decrease in the size of the penis, uh, sexual confusion, and homosexuality. He goes on to say, that is why most of the medical blame for today's rise in homosexuality must fall upon the rise of soy formula and other soy products. He goes on and on and on. It's a pretty hilarious article that I would direct your attention to um, simply because of its just degree of like paranoia and insanity. Um, I have to say this kind of reminds me of, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Dr. Strangelove where uh, General Jack Ripper talks to Colonel Lionel Mandrake about the fluoridation of water and corruption of our precious bodily fluids. Because, you know, Mandrake, have you ever seen a commie drink water? Um, you know, and they're putting fluoridation into, into children's ice cream. Uh, well, Mr. Ruitz doesn't seem to actually, I mean, he talks about studies, but doesn't actually seem to cite anything or maybe say where people could check the quote-unquote facts uh, in this column, but personally, I think that if we're going to be concerned about the type of foods that we're eating, one, we probably shouldn't be concerned about whether or not it's making us gay, because it's probably not, and two, we probably should be more concerned about things like factory farming or GMOs or all the other screwed up things that we do to food in this country um, before we consume it. Um, I might direct attention to the connection between eating fast food and people being fat to being causally linked uh, and proven by science as opposed to the idea that eating uh, a tofu burger will secure you the lead spot on the Liza Minnelli float in San Francisco's upcoming gay pride parade. And I would also direct our listeners to a recent Gallup poll which found that 60% of Americans say that they'd like to lose weight but only 28% say they're actually currently trying to do anything about it. And uh, there also is another interesting poll out this week. 78% um, of Americans uh, now have a negative view of how Iraq's government has performed in recent months. But 83% of Americans say U.S. soldiers in Iraq have done a good job. And I, maybe we should talk a little bit for the next few minutes here about what is going on with support for the war in Iraq. Um, as I just mentioned, it is now at all-time lows. Nonetheless, uh, the majority of Americans are supporting the job that soldiers are doing over there. And that's fine. I mean, I'm not going to begrudge anyone that. I will say I'm getting a little tired of seeing people's yellow ribbons on cars, particularly the magnetic ones. Although, you know, I am the first person to say support people who made the choice to go over there and, and do this, but it just seems a little hollow to me 
to put a magnetic sticker on your car, you know, you what, you can't even commit to an actual sticker? I mean, is it? Are you afraid that it's going? Your support for the Iraq War will damage your paint job, and you know, just I think the metaphor of, you know, slapping a uh, metallic sticker onto your car in kind of a, I guess, a quick fix solution, as you would call it, um, kind of reminds me of uh, kind of the rhetoric that's coming out of President Bush at the moment about. The next corner that we're turning in the lovely, uh, what would, I don't even know where you, how you would start to describe it because it's not really a country anymore. Let's just call it the catastrophe of Iraq. Now, uh, as many of you know, the Baker Study Group came up with a number of recommendations last week, um, which gave ample political cover to the president in order to find a way to get the hell out of this mess that we've created over there, which I think we are now at four years of involvement in Iraq or approaching four years, which I, th- if I'm correct, is actually longer than we were involved in World War II. Now, all this time we've spent there is apparently also finally starting to weigh down on the president. In a Pentagon briefing yesterday, uh, President Bush acknowledged that our enemy in Iraq is far from being defeated. Well, there's a big duh. He said, I've heard of some ideas that would lead to defeat, and I reject those ideas. That's some sound thinking right there. He goes on to say, ideas such as leaving before the job is done. He goes on to say, we're not going to give up. The stakes are too high and the consequences too grave to turn Iraq over to extremists. Well, I would hate to point out that maybe that has already occurred, particularly when you look at the fact that the government is actually being run not by Prime Minister Maliki, but actually by Muqtada al-Sadir, and a number of other clerics who have significantly more political power and leverage within the country of Iraq, or the catastrophe of Iraq, as we prefer to call it now, than anyone, any puppet that we have installed over the last three years, and all of which have done a fabulous job, in the words of our president. Now, in this press briefing, Bush also went on to say, of course, speaking directly to the troops, that, quote, we're going to give you all the tools necessary to succeed, like armor and armored Humvees, uh, which have been in uh, increasingly short supply since the invasion began. He also wanted to say, and a strategy to help you succeed. Oh, (laughs) that's nice. (laughs) Well, I would say it's certainly about time to develop a strategy for success in Iraq. I know that we've been turning the corner there, I think every six months has it been uh, for the last three years, but maybe now we'll finally figure something out. Now, also in this press conference, uh, the president said that he had hoped to announce plans uh, about exactly what to do about this billion-dollar-a-day debacle in Iraq uh, by next week. It appears now that he will push back a speech on whatever corner we're turning or what new direction or leaf we're turning over or what we're finding under a rock in Iraq until early next year. This is all coming, of course, as the death toll probably will reach about 3,000 American service members and certainly an untold number of Iraqis by Christmas. I uh, have to say I'm going to look forward to, to see how exactly the president is going to get around not admitting that he is, of course, cutting and running. <laughs> and I would like to remind you that the opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions or views of KDVS, KDVS sponsors, the University of California, or, well, actually, they probably represent a majority of opinion now in this country, but uh, we just need to get that disclaimer out of the way. 
right, well, that does it for our first segment here on Radio Parallax. Coming up next, we've got an interview with Radio Parallax's CSUS liaison, Sarah Lynn, about uh, radio personality Dr. Drew's recent visit to Sacramento State. And coming up in the third segment tonight, uh, we're going to bring some classic Radio Parallax from the vaults for you. Um, I'm Stephen Valentino. We'll be back after the break. 